creating cosmos out of chaos. I did want to say, Justin, you have the most beautiful hair. Oh, yes, thank I'm you. Like, <laughs> so golden and... Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you do anything special to it? <laughs> no. Amy made me stop uh, using a bar of soap. That's all I used um, for it's years. Like washing your hair. You yeah, use soap. Yeah, just use soap. Not um, shampoo or... No, just wow. soap, bar soap, like this, dial, dial soap. This is a magic moment because one of the main comments we get a lot in our world is, Juliana, what do you do with your hair? Oh, yeah. And now you're asking something. Well, like, what do you do? <laughs> it just looks so like, like natural oh, and, thank and you. healthy. Yeah, I always tell dry. sometimes you get too aggressive with it. I told you that when I walked in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, now Amy makes me use her shampoo. That makes me, invites me to use her shampoo and sometimes I even condition. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's have rare, but have sometimes. you felt a difference in the shift? Yeah, she she says there's definitely a difference. Because huh. um, maybe that's just what she wants to see. Because <laughs> my partner in life often forces me to use shampoo. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> well, that's no. So here we go. Well, Mark sometimes like, well, I washed it. I'm like, how did you wash? It? I jumped in the lake. Like that's not <laughs> washing your hair. That's wetting your hair. Yeah. <laughs> there's a thing called shampoo. I think, it, I think there's a big gray area. Yeah. Just between the, the it's wetness. It's a trend. What's the like to stop washing your hair and then you restore the natural skin and eventually you don't have to wash it anymore. I mean, I've never tried. Can I be, uh, can I be honest with everyone that's watching this yeah. right now? I don't know if it's probably been three months since I put shampoo in my hair. What? Yeah. I don't tell her that because she go nuts. But it, I think, yeah, I mean, I swim every day. Like when yeah. we're in Canada, I'm in, in, the, I'm in the ocean, in the salt. The salt washes yeah. it. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, I don't know, being here, I, I've just been Wetting the hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed it's drying out now because yeah. we came to Austin yeah. and I'm not swimming as much. Like, well, I would have women ask me, uh, what? I don't know if you have this at the grocery store when you're going to the checkout counter, mm -hmm. but I'd have like women sometimes just like touch my hair without even asking first. Wow. And I'm like turning my head and they're like, what do you use on your hair? <laughs> and uh, it's happened around Amy too. And we're just mesmerized by it. like, wow, they just touched touch my hair without even asking. But... Um, you know, I've I've always told them like a bar soap or now the shampoo, but it's just different. I think that women sometimes will be like, "How'd you get your hair so long?" Right. And I'm like, "I've cut it twice." And <laughs> in and, your life, in my life, no. wow. And, and it was when I donated actually three times now. Once I donated 12 inches. Once I donated 10 inches, and then um, the other time was just like a little trim, somewhat recently because I did that kind of undercut thing right. on the side. Ah, um, okay, okay. But anyways, I I'm like, yeah, I don't cut it, and I don't heat it, and I don't treat it, I don't use all these chemicals right. in it, and so it grows fast. And like, huh, you know, I always go to my barber or you know at the salon, and um, she's like, we got to trim off two three inches for it to grow longer. They always and, say that. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, well, that's cutting two or three inches off, and you're trying to grow it longer, so it doesn't make sense to I, me. I say that to yeah. her all the time. She's yeah. like, you got to trim the edges. I'm like, if I want to grow my hair out, I'm not going to trim. She's like, yeah, just, just let it grow. <laughs> let it grow. Let it go. Let it grow. That's Long so, hair don't care. What do you do when you fight though? I like braid it. You oh, you braid it. I braid it back like a like a Viking style braid. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that goes with the incredible beard, I guess, quite well. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> they used to call me the Viking in okay. uh, MMA or in the UFC. I kind of fight like one, uh, take people down and ground and pound is kind of my style to a submission. But um, yeah, I think for me, it's it's actually one of the only rules, you know, no, no eye gouging, no fish hooking, no groin shots and no pulling of hair. Huh. So, and if they're worried about pulling my hair, then I can, I can, they're, they're leaving themselves open for a, a, a big punch because they're, they're grabbed on. They're not able to pull their hand back. 
Um, and, and that includes beard, obviously. Like no yeah, pulling of beard. Yeah, no beard pulls too. Interesting. But now That's my, so interesting. Yeah, yeah, my nickname shifted now from the Viking to the Big Pygmy. Because when I lived with the Pygmy people in Africa, they named me Efeosa. Mabutimangbo. And so Efeosa means the man that loves us. And I cherish that one. But everyone called me Mabutimangbo. And that means the big pygmy. So Whoa. that's why. Uh, and then everyone's like, why, why are you named the big pygmy? It's like, oh, it's because these people, I love them. They adopted me as a tribe. They're my second family. Um, and I want to use my nickname as a way to, or social media handle, as wow. a way to like raise awareness for them and their, their plight, their fight. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about the pygmy? Because this is sure. the first time I've ever, ever heard about, you know, these yeah. people that living right. like you're saying in africa right yeah absolutely we so i didn't know i was going to start a nonprofit. i actually had no plan to go to africa if i did maybe it would have been for a safari of sorts uh -huh. but um i was going through a really tough time in my life with addiction and depression and so i'm a two-time suicide survivor and i've been to treatment twice in my life um but at the same time, I was competing at the highest level in, in sports. But I was hooked on Oxycontin, uh, being an athlete and having surgeries and being a fighter. Pain comes with that. And this was at the beginning of the opioid epidemic. And they just gave it to you like candy. Wow. I had three different doctors that would give it to me. And uh, they'd give me 60, 90, 120, which now there's no way in the world they would ever give someone 60. Um, so I was going through depression, addiction, and... Because of that, I actually got f kicked off my fight team, the best fight team in the world. And, and this is um, when you were Yeah, in the, the UFC and champion? fighting. Yeah. Well, I was a national champion in wrestling. I haven't really been a champion in, in uh, MMA, but I've been a high-level pro. Yeah. I'm 15 and 2 professionally. And, uh, but I was just off the Ultimate Fighter TV show, and I was the youngest guy, 21, and started fighting professionally at 19. The next youngest guy in the Ultimate Fighter house was 28 or 29. Heavyweights are normally an older man's division. And right. so... People get in their prime around 32, 33, 35, but champions will be 42, 40. Um, wow. And yeah, so to get to the story of how I got over there with the pygmies was I, I had started small. People ask, I could never go do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you don't have to go do that. You just have your head on a swivel and look for uh, somewhere to make a difference, somewhere that you could add value to someone else's life that can be in your own neighborhood. For me, it was a, a children's hospital is how I got started was... I finally sobered up and I started volunteering at the children's hospital and I went through night school so that I could be, become an official volunteer for the oncology unit. Mm -hmm. And so I was on like kind of where all the cancer kids are and it, some of them were playing UFC video games and they knew who I was. And Aww. so I, I mean, I would, I, I remember this one time there was one we called a, a child we called princess warrior. Her name was Kennedy. And uh, I got invited to be there to hold her hand. Her dad stepped out of the room so I could be in there with her mom holding her hand while they put her to sleep. She was getting a complete rib cage basically uh, built on her because she had bone cancer. Wow. And she was a warrior and now she's cancer free and now she's doing great. But bone cancer is one of the most deadly cancers. And oh so, oh and she gosh. had not relapsed with it, but whatever it had happened again. Remissions. And so, yeah, remissions. Yeah. And, so yeah, she literally has like a bionic rib cage now. And oh so that's where me getting into philanthropy or humanitarian yeah. work started was just at the children's hospital. So what compelled and, you to start there at the children's hospital? Um, I think that, uh, like well, I got, I got, I got invited to the children's hospital to visit one, uh, young boy and he was a fan, um, from fighting. 
and he got in a ATV or a four-wheeler accident. And when the four-wheeler flipped, it literally, between a tree, his head got smashed in between a tree and the back of the four-wheeler. And so um, had TBI. They didn't know if he was going to recover. When he came out of it, um, his dad reached out to one of my friends and saw if I could come visit him. And so I did. And my first experience there, like my first trip in Africa, I thought, what am I doing here? Why did I go? This is maybe meaningless because for for him this young boy he didn't even know i was there all i all i heard was him groaning in pain um not able to really see anyone that's there and they're like just talk to him and so i'm talking to him but i left there crying i left there like um you know not not just that he's not going to remember me being there that doesn't matter but just crying because like he was in so much agony of course um but I kept going back and he started getting better and uh, now he does jujitsu and he's competing and wow. uh, pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. Then from there I decided I wanted to stay and um, so volunteered there. I, I organized a whole trip or visit for UFC guys like Rashad Evans, Brennan Schaub, uh, Shane Carwin. I mean, just names, Dwayne Bang Ludwig and some big, big names in the sport. Um, and the day before the hospital visit where we're all going to go on Mm -hmm. the oncology unit the director of the hospital said no we're canceling this trip um or this visit and i was like wait why she goes these people punch people for a living and i was like yeah and all these kids know who they are if they know who i am they're they're going to know who they are and they're she's like wait you fight and i'm like yeah i fight and i'm one of those guys and this is my team and these are some of the best guys in the world and some of them are olympians or former collegiate athletes and mm. it's it's not a bar because she thought it was a barroom brawl or a street fight or this mm. or that or the other and i was like i promise you this is going to be one of the best fits. i've been here when the colorado rockies are here or the denver nuggets or the denver broncos yeah and I go, this this is going to be different. Like, we recognize all these children as in a fight for their life, and they're more of a fighter than we are. And so she said yes, finally. I actually had to petition again one more time because she said no. Oh and then afterwards, uh, I said chaperone us. That was how I finally got her to, to <laughs> say yes. Chaperone us, be with us, have, have other volunteers. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we did it. And, and those guys had some of those same experiences. I remember a world champion kickboxer coming out of a room and just bawling because he's like, oh my gosh, I have two children this same age, you know? And it's kind of where it all began. But afterwards, that woman, uh, I haven't shared this story ever on a, uh, on a show or a podcast, but, but uh, uh, I haven't thought about it in a while. She apologized to us and basically said, we weren't one of the best visits but we were the very best visit she'd ever have she goes why and i was like i think and we all kind of popcorn shared and it was kind of you know we have a fighter's heart but we recognize the the fight that they're in and we just want to be there give them some warrior energy and just love them through this say they can do it don't quit um and so it was it was pretty powerful and she what was funny was she said her two favorite visits ever she said some of the athletes that came in, maybe they were required to be there. Maybe mm-hmm. they were in trouble. Maybe it was PR. Uh, and, and some of those athletes were really great. But mm-hmm. she said it was different with, with fighters. She said, who would, who would have thunk that uh, 
the two best visits were like a, a bikers club and fighters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, bikers and fighters and, were the two best visits. And the fighters had to fight to get in. Yeah, we had to fight yeah. to get in. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. So that's where it all started. And actually, because of that visit, I, I shared earlier that I was kicked off that fight team. Right. So I sobered up. I started going to just watch training sometimes. And then I said, hey, guys, we have a real opportunity to impact some people. Like, let's do this. So after that visit, where I was kicked off the team voted off like 32 or 33 to one only my head coach thought let's get him into rehab let's get him mm -hmm. some help let's give him a shot he's the youngest guy here he's got a lot of potential it was after that visit that all the guys invited me back on the team wow. and so um i didn't do it for that but it was shortly after that i ended up in africa i was also volunteering at the not just the children's hospital, but the rescue mission in Colorado for the homeless and at risk youth group. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to figure out like, you know, I was, I, I've been fighting against people, but really I'm supposed to be fighting for people yeah. Yeah. and basically said a prayer one time, God, what do you, what do you want me to do with my life? And I'm not religious really, but spiritual in nature. And then, um, but I hadn't really even prayed and someone, I, I was talking to a friend and I didn't have a lot of direction. Yeah. I sacrificed a year from fighting and I got offered the biggest fight of my life. It would have been in the Satama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan on New Year's Eve. They get over 100,000 people there. Wow. It was going to be for more money than I've ever been paid. And honestly, it was the best matchup I could have ever had for that. Like, stay standing, that guy wins. But I'm going to take him to the ground and I'm going to win. And wow. so, but something in my spirit or soul said, not yet, you know? Not yet. You turned it down. I turned it down and I didn't know why. And I'm like, what is going on? And uh, this was a foolish move. I thought it was almost my reward for being a year sober uh -huh. and for right. not being in the gym and, and, and volunteering and things. And I'm like, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. My agent was confused. Uh, I turned down speaking engagements, uh, nine paid speaking engagements before I ever did it, saying I'm a fighter, not a speaker. I don't have the ability to do that. So I was turning down like paid gigs. And, you know, it was, it was really hard to, to pay rent and, and different things. Yeah. So that's when he's like, man, you need to pray about this. Just, just ask something. And uh, I said, God, what do you do with my life? And I was all alone. And I've done psychedelics, plenty of them. And mm -hmm. I've had visions. This was not psychedelic-induced, drug-induced. I'm sober. And all of a sudden, I have the most vivid vision of my life. That was a movie in my mind, but it felt like it happened. And I was walking in the forest somewhere mm -hmm. and I was clearing out vines and thickets out of the way. And I'm continuing to walk and I hear drumming and I continue yeah. to walk and then I hear singing. And then I come into a clearing and I see these homes or these huts uh -huh. that are twigs and leaves covered in like big, big leaves. And I meet these people, I don't talk with them, but I see him and the first guy uh, is coughing. I know that he's sick and you can see his ribs. He's starving and he's sick. And I just knew that they were hungry, thirsty, poor, sick, oppressed. And I knew that I knew they were enslaved, um, that they called someone else master. And I started to weep in this, this vision and crying for people. I don't know. I don't know who they are, where they are, anything like that. And I cried a little, puddle of tears i don't know if that's a puddle but think about it like a cookie size yeah. of of tears and 
when I came out of that vision, I wrote down forgotten at the top. That was the thing that I felt they felt forgotten. That was their identity, the forgotten people or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I wrote hungry, thirsty, poor, sick, oppressed, enslaved. And then I started to really doubt myself and also think I was crazy. I was trying to think, was that a psychedelic uh, reactivation? Yeah. What, was that a psychotic episode, a break? How um, did the vision come to you? Were you meditating and it came? Or, or? Uh, you know, whenever I decided to pray this prayer, uh-huh. which I grew up in, in, in a Christian school and a church camp that scarred my life. Like one, one says, if you ever get drunk, you go to hell. One says, God's going to make you drunk in a spirit. And if you're not, you're demon possessed. So people tried to cast demons out of me. Then I went to Catholic school where everyone got drunk together. (laughs) And, uh, and so, which the Catholic school was the best thing ever because they had wrestling. I had two Olympic gold medalists as my coaches. That's where I found my first outlet, uh, which was wrestling and martial arts. Mm -hmm. And that changed my life. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that it, for me, martial arts changed my life. But whenever I had this vision, that's, that, that probably saved my life. Um, what was the prayer? God, what do you want to do with my life? That was it. I would say that the, the vision, I honestly, I felt crazy. I thought I'd never tell anyone because it wasn't like induced or like mm-hmm. it, it was the most vivid vision of my life. But then I started to doubt it and doubt myself and think that I'm crazy and or at least that other people would think mm-hmm. that I'm yeah, crazy. Right. If you shared it, yeah. And I would have to share it with like I don't know if I could share it, who mm-hmm. I would share. I started thinking through all my friends and mm-hmm. who I could share this with and maybe some would be open to it, but the I I think at that time my friend group and, and things would be like sounds crazy. Right. <laughs> so three days later though, I meet a guy named Caleb. And Caleb shares this incredible story, and I wish I could pull up pictures for you because he lived with the Maasai tribe that hunts lions and uh, or at least protects their livestock from lions. And mm. I'm like, dude, this guy's different. And then he was friends with Bear Grylls and helped him develop like survival training. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, this guy might be the one guy I could tell. <laughs> and but I was scared to. Mm-hmm. And he was sharing a story. Other people want to talk to him. So then I went and got in a car with some friends. And we're about to drive away. Something in my soul said, go tell him, go mm-hmm. tell Caleb. So I go inside, tell Caleb, and he's all alone, luckily. And I, I tell him, and he's just nodding his head. And then he kind of smiles. And I go, what? He goes, I know who they are. And I said, what? He goes, those are the pygmy people, the Mabuti pygmy people in Congo. And I was oh like, Oh, my God. Who? I just got chills. Where? <laughs> yeah. And it was crazy. He goes, I'm supposed to go in three and a half weeks. No. And I'm like, wow. And he goes, but you're going to have to come tell my wife, Jess. And I was like, okay, why? He goes, well, she's pregnant. Um, we have a small child. And three days ago, my team of three people that were going with me, they all canceled their trip. The U.S. State Department says no one for any reason go to Congo. Why not? Um, the rebels had taken over the airport. Um, oh, their people were being killed. The pygmy people are literally being the United Nations. I confirmed like 34 counts of cannibalism against the pygmy people that they're being hunted, killed, cooked, eaten because of the belief that if you can do that as a rebel group before war, witchcraft, like you would be invincible in battle. Bullets would fly right through you. Jesus. Or while I was living wow. there, people would have skulls hanging from their, their, um, their belts or waistline and they drink from them before going into battle. And I was just like, wait, what are we doing? Where are we going? Like, this is crazy. And, uh, he's like, come tell Jess, because she said we needed a sign for me to still go that I shouldn't go alone. <laughs> and I'm he's, like, 
this so, is, is it crazy? It seems crazy, right? No, it, it's, it's perfect. Okay. Thank it's you. crazy, it's of course, from it's the intellectual like, perspective. Wow. But no, it's perfect. Yeah. 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 That's like, that's divine alignment, yeah. man. That's really... Yeah, so instead of getting in there, my friend's cars, I got in his car and uh, wow. went to his house and um, told his wife, who was pregnant, like probably six, seven months pregnant. And this and was the first person you told him with a vision. First and only person I told. And right after you told him, he you said, went to his house. Going, yeah. yeah, right after." Because you just said, like you were, as you were recalling, you were like, "Wait a second, where are we going?" So you were, yeah, like you were all, like you knew. Did you feel it? Um, well, I once we went and talked to Jess. Uh, did I feel it? Yes, something was resonating deep inside mm -hmm. of me, but. There was layers and layers of, of all the course. reasons why I shouldn't do it, or the fear mm -hmm. of what's going to happen. Um, why are we going? You know, questions of like, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, so all the practical sides of it, but yeah. something was calling to me. Wow. And we told Jess, she like looked at Caleb and goes, you got to take this guy. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, do we have to go in three weeks? Could we go like later? <laughs> and uh, my, my passport had actually gotten really wet and the, my picture was peeling off. And I'm like, I got to get a new passport, all sorts right. of stuff. And they both talked to me and basically said things similar in nature to, if you never go, you'll never know. Mm -hmm. And you always wonder what mm -hmm. woulda, coulda, shoulda happened. And he's like, I already have my plane ticket to Uganda. I'm like, how do we even get into Congo? He's mm -hmm. like, I don't know, but we'll find a way. Wow. He goes, we'll find a pilot that's willing to fly us in. So there's no commercial flights or anything going into that. No. Wow. No, not at all. Um, and so we, you have to get a basically like a private plane, a uh, little prop plane. So me, Caleb, and a friend named Colin went. And what what year is this? And this is 2012. 2012. And, and I think, okay, so you, Caleb, and Colin. I think it's 2011, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've been wow. going back and forth the last 11 years. Wow. Yeah. The, I mean, we talk a lot about fear. Like, fear yeah. is a very, um, it's a very conscious thing, I think, that's very Present. apparent in our yeah. culture in this day and age. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah for and, sure. And changing lives and making big decisions and um, doing things as much as even changing careers, which can be so important to some people, yeah. um, is such a heavy lift. Now, here we're talking about in the middle of what sounds like... Um, a civil war. A civil war yeah. of some sort. Yeah, 38 different warring rebel groups. I think that number's grown to like 44, 46. Like you had to face this internal force yeah to decide to follow your vision and, and i actually hadn't turned down i i think i need to edit the story a little because i hadn't turned down the fight yet oh i hadn't turned down the fight the fight was still an offer and i was one. still mm -hmm. yep yeah, and i was still thinking about it i felt like i was supposed to say no mm -hmm. uh -huh. but i wasn't completely sure and i hadn't told my agent absolutely no oh. i go i think not yet not not now um, he's like, man, this is a perfect matchup, man. This is a lot of money, man. This is, yeah. this is your dream fight. Mm -hmm. So you have and, one hand, all yeah. of that. And the other hand, this your mystery, vision. like yeah. spiritual yep. impulse, yep. not even impulse, just like driving vision. Yeah. vision, visionary force. Yeah. And I didn't know stuff like this happened. Like right. I knew, and this was again, 2011. So, I mean, exposure for Iowa or ayahuasca in the U S hadn't like exploded mm -hmm. like like it has now and stuff but or psychedelics weren't as quote-unquote mainstream or just accepted mm -hmm. um but i knew things like that happened but not not just not just on a normal day where you well, say a simple prayer mm -hmm. of like 
I mean, it's, a, it's not even really a full sentence. God, or maybe it is, but it's less than 10 words. Yeah. God, what do you want me to do with my life? That's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the words. It was the feeling yeah. in your heart. I was that's hungry. That's what spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was hungry to hear mm-hmm. something because I felt yeah. like if I had to explain it, what I was doing in Colorado was great. Mm-hmm. It filled my soul, but it wasn't a lot of direction. It was like, okay, I'll go do this. Okay, I'll go do that. Okay, I'll go do a polar plunge for the Special Olympics, jump in some water and raise some funds. Mm-hmm. And okay, I'll go do this. And it was it was anything and everything, but it was kind of shotgunned. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a, a scope, like zooming in on a target yeah. saying, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm normally like that. I need that. Yeah, I yeah. need to focus. I, I, need a, I need a date on a calendar circled right. saying, this is fight night for me to build into it. Mm-hmm. And so... It, uh, I felt a little directionless, almost like um, almost like driftwood yeah, in, yeah. in a river, um, just being taken wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. And instead, I think I needed to get across the river by like talking about the pygmies, like a bow and arrow, like mm-hmm. being shot across. Like right. that's where I'm going. And so we went. And what was the tipping point? What, how did you psychologically get to the point where you like? Because that's a I, huge yeah one or the other. Uh, so some things happened to get me there. Um, I just Googled passport on Google Maps. I walk in with my passport and I'm like, this is probably going to take a long time or I'm going to have to expedite it. If it's not easy, I'm not going. <laughs> and I, I walk in and I'm trying to give myself excuses. Of course. Right, yeah. Yeah. Else, right? yeah. And so I walk in and all of a sudden I'm in Denver and I walk in and it's like going through the airport security, except these guys actually had guns on them and they're real officers. And I'm going through the x-ray machine and I'm like, what place did I walk into? And I go up to the counter, I give her my passport and she's like, where are you going? I go, I'm going to Africa. And she's like, why? And I'm like, there's these people and um, I'm not sure I'm going, but I need the passport in case I can. And she looked at it. She goes, this is really damaged. And she's like, go across the hall. Go get a picture and come back to me. I'll have this passport to you in an hour. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she goes, she goes, yeah. And I didn't even ask her to. And it was one of the only places in the U.S. I could print it there. It was like one of three or four places oh in the God. U.S. Like, there's one in Houston. There's one in Denver. There's one in a couple other spots, I guess. And. Uh, so literally I just sat there and she came out and my passport was warm when she gave it to me. Oh my God. She goes, I think you're supposed to go on this trip. I she said like, that She to said you. that to me. Like a stranger at a stranger. passport office. Yeah. Wow. Like I probably look like a deer in the headlights. Like <laughs> I think I'm supposed to go do this. And uh, she's like, okay, we'll make that happen. But everybody else that was in there, I'm, I think, um, unless they had a reason, had to wait for it. Of course. Um, or, you know, or paid a extra fee. I don't think I paid anything. Maybe I did, but, uh, it was a long time ago, divine, but man. it was, it wild. was wild. Then I needed, uh, a way to get there financially. It wasn't there. Uh, Caleb told a guy, my story guy goes, I'm going to, Oh, actually a guy donated for the like expenses while we were there mm-hmm. for both of us. But then, uh, I made one little post. I think I'm going to go do this. A guy that I had previously fought mm-hmm. and knocked out sent me a message privately, so didn't comment on it on Facebook or whatever, sent me a message privately and said, me and my wife would like to buy your plane ticket there and back. 
a guy that I actually, the only guy I've ever talked trash to, I'm not a trash talker. He, he, he was talking tons of trash to me. I didn't talk any trash before. Um, but he said something and I finally like kind of chirped back and I go, he goes, why aren't you talking anything? You don't think you don't believe in yourself, this and that. And I go, I'm saving my talking for tomorrow night. While we're in the fight, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to tell you everything I'm going to do, and I'm going to do it anyways. And so it's, it's probably sounds, uh, but that's the, my comp- competitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did. I took him down. He was a wrestler. He was from Nebraska, state champion. Had wrestled in college, um, but I was a national champion. And he was talking terrible about Texas, whatever, and, and also <laughs> taking like personal blows at me. And so I told him what wrestling moves I was going to take him down with and I did and then whenever he's trying the reversals like there's something called a Peterson roll I'm like a Peterson roll nope and then I'd hit him more you know whatever and but afterwards he thought that was crazy um it's happened a few (laughs) times in in MMA and he's like you and me are going to hang out and so we hung out after the fight we hugged we got to know each other I got to know his wife um and he was introducing me to all his friends and then months uh or a year or two later yeah he's like we're, my wife and i are buying your trip to to africa that's, so it would have been possible without that oh that's God. so and beautiful so then i go and we take tons of we we flew into like belgium then like i think qatar or maybe it was netherlands and then qatar then kenya then rwanda then uganda oh my and God. then uh we had to find a pilot found a pilot that said he was just going to basically take us in we get off and he's out wow and um how long did it take you guys to actually get there like how many days days um uh, getting there is not the hardest part because in kenya people deboard or get off the plane and then people get on and then you go to kigali uh uh, rwanda and then people get on people get off and then you go to uganda so it it didn't take that long like two or three days Mm -hmm. Uh, but still a lot of travel yeah Um, then we found the pilot to take us in we drive um, for, oh, f- first, the landing. Um, we're circling, and they're literally clearing our runway with machetes. And while we're, while we're going around, uh, more and more people from the village are coming out, and the pilot's saying, I think I might have to turn around. I don't have enough gas to just keep circling, or fuel to keep circling. Village like and, the pygmy village? Uh, this wasn't the pygmy people. This oh. was their neighbors. Oh, the neighbors. Okay. Um, and actually, it was, it was still about a four- to six-hour drive from where the deep part of the rainforest is we were at the beginning of the rainforest have you ever had an experience like no never so you're literally circling in a plane i missed i missed out on camping because my dad's a photographer and he's like creative and uh, (laughs) my mom's an athlete and anytime i got invited on a hunt or a camping trip like i had a wrestling tournament (laughs) and or some sort of sporting engagement so this was like my first time actually real deal camping was in the rainforest an extreme first camping trip (laughs) yeah but i had the right guy with me caleb who's a survivalist and adventurer and wow um and a humanitarian and just salt of the earth um and we slept that night so you guys landed we landed landed okay (laughs) some of the first people we met though were living under a, a a tarp bunch of tarps it was probably 20 women and all their children. There were rape victims that were kicked out of their community because basically like unclean or, or whatever, like when gang rape happens, I know this is a really hard topic. Um, sometimes the women need, need like specialized surgeries to like make them whole again, um, where two became one type thing. And then to get it back to, to, to what it should be. Um, 
And so it's really hard for them to keep clean. And then also husbands and their culture, some cultures, there's, there's over 200 spoken languages. There's over 200 tribes. Wow. So different tribes have different um, things, but some men get to remarry to a younger woman and don't have to take with that stress. I remember one woman had seven children, had been married 14 years, and she was pushed out of her house the day after she was gang raped by the rebel groups. Rape is a weapon of war there. People, BBC has called it, BBC and the New York Times has called it two different things, and I might switch up which one it is. So they say it's either hell on earth for women or the rape capital of the world, where one woman every one minute gets raped there. And so all of a sudden I'm seeing that, and I'm just like, whoa, culture shock, oh, heartbroken, yeah. gut-wrenched, nauseous from hearing oh, some of their gosh, stories, yeah. um, yeah. shaking, like I'm almost shaking retelling it. And um so we slept there. We went to an orphanage where all their parents had been killed by the rebel groups or had died of HIV um, because they had something basically called the, it was a cleanup crew, terrible name. A lot of the rebel groups aren't even Congolese there. And now we work a lot in Uganda, but there was a Ugandan or Rwandan rebel group that they had a cleanup crew for called the AIDS brigades. And they would basically be the ones that would purposely infect people oh um, with, with HIV. Um, and this still happens. Yeah, it still happens for sure, for sure a lot. It's and really hard to. Yeah, yeah. No, no one talks about it. No, like, no one knows it's happening. Like we know about all this other stuff, mm-hmm. um, but we, things like this can be stopped um, and focused on. But, but Congo, Uganda, those kind of places. Congo should be the richest country on earth for natural resources. For natural resources. Diamonds, coltan, uh, gold. I think I think their gold could cancel all of the U.S. debt. Just their gold. Um, and like trillions of dollars and coltan 85% of it comes from the Congo 100% of that is slave mind and all of uh, all of our smartphones and smart TVs and smart devices have coltan in it I've, I've heard about that yeah. a little bit yeah, and I've, seen, I've seen the mines I've seen people I've seen 12 year old boys be pulled out of the the mines that had died because of a collapse it's a lot of children doing a lot of mining. children almost all children and and a lot of times the pygmy people because they're smaller in stature their average heights only four foot six uh, for the men um how how do you i find sometimes the emotional connection to these like tragic and terrible horrific things that we're doing on the planet every minute of every day yeah. that we're not thinking about it it's yeah. still happening and to witness that like the things that we've seen in our life right, they pale in comparison and they've affected yeah. like and it left sure. deep imprints yeah how does that yeah. like how 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 does it how, how does have it, you coped with yeah. that seeing it i think with your yeah. own eyes like children yeah. you know 12 year olds being mm-hmm. pulled out of mm-hmm. these minds what happens ptsd happens mm-hmm. i have a doctor named dr daniel amen um out of california who's a 13-time new york times best-selling author and thank god he's taking me as a patient because uh he's mostly writing books now um but you can see PTSD in my brain from like brain scans. He studied more human brains than anyone in human history, over 185,000 people and 60 plus heads of state and NFL players and Muhammad Ali. So he's given me a lot of practice is, but also Amy, she inspires me by the way she lives her life, meditating every morning, yoga, um, and ice baths and cold showers. And, um, but, I would say a lot of my coping comes from my work uh, right. with Fight for the Forgotten, like doing something about it. Because you're always presented with a choice. Am I gonna do something or do nothing? And for me, I have, I have a deep, real connection that came from somewhere out in the ether that, that 
that gave this path to me. And so um, I, I'll share the kind of conclusion of me getting there oh, yeah, and being please. adopted in is because this goes back to me never being able to doubt. Um, fed malaria there three times. I lost first time I lost 33 pounds in five days. Um, I was vomiting red and green, which was blood and bile. All my veins were collapsing. I had knots, three or four knots on each hand. I had two or three in each of my arms. This is from malaria. From malaria yeah. because they were puncturing my, my veins, trying to get into the collapse veins to get IV medication into me. And in that moment, I remember it was like Thanksgiving day of 2014 or 2015. And I lived there for a year at this time. And, um, my well drilling team called my mom from a satellite phone and they said, your mom really wants you to come back. And I was like, I'm, I'm in the, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like, this is, this is what y'all go through every day. This is what they go through every day. And the reason I could say that, because my mom was wanting to evac me out of there. We had this insurance to get me back to the U S I'm like one U S doctors don't know how to treat malaria. <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't make sense. So I'm going to stay here. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and my mom understands now, but at that time she was like, what are you doing? But I could always look back at the vision, but then this part of the vision, we go four to six hours through the rainforest once we land. Um, or after we stayed one night, we, we go out the next morning, we get on motorcycles, go through the rainforest for another hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours. Then we go across a river. There's dugout canoes but they're really more pygmy size, not big pygmy size canoes. So <laughs> there, there's uh, hippos, there's crocodiles. Um, and us three were the only ones that knew how to swim. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I keep my balance in this thing? How do I not flip it? Because I don't want to get eaten, but also like I don't want people to drown. So just like a wild scenario. We get across the river and we go hiking. And about 30 minutes in, we get to a really thick part of the rainforest. I mean, all of it was the whole time. Mm -hmm. There were actually no real trails. Wow. Uh, there wasn't like a, a, a truck trail or yeah. even a motorcycle trail. It was like, um, it was little bitty footpaths. And wow. um, then we're clearing thickets out of the way and we hear drumming and we <laughs> keep walking and we hear singing and we keep walking and we come into a clearing. First guy who approached us, you can see his ribs kind of looked kind of like a skeleton with skin on wow. and he was sick. He was coughing. He had tuberculosis. Um, while we were there, they told us how they're hungry. They're thirsty. They're oppressed. They're poor. They're enslaved. Slave masters were coming up to us and what are you here doing with my property? I own these people. Um, and like right when I got in there though, it was the vision. I saw it before. I can say that to y'all because y'all are more open-minded, mm -hmm. but I saw no, I this I before and yeah. I squat down into a full squat, my hands on my face and my elbows on my knees and Caleb and Colin are both grabbing me and I had to take like a full knee because I was just weak in the knees and they're like, this is your vision. This is your vision. I had the vision written down on a piece of paper in my back. They knew it and they're the ones like, this is your vision by the end of it, after a lot of this traumatic stuff, I felt so small and the problem so big mm -hmm. that I was like, what am I supposed to do about this? 
what are what are we supposed to do about this? Who could do anything about this? And the vision I got, or like I think visually, and the picture I got in my mind was, um, I could I could work my whole life here, and it's like trying to empty the ocean with an eyedropper, and what's that going to do? Mm-hmm. Will 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 they even notice? Will I even notice? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, and I told Caleb that, and Caleb's like, dude, every one of those drops symbolize like a human heart like a person's life um it matters no matter what it is and i'm like okay i go i need a sign on like one of the last days he's like what are you talking about <laughs> you said it <laughs> you out loud like yeah i told him on, on one of the last days because um i'll get to one more story of my second trip but dude i was i was just so overwhelmed i one overwhelmed with love for them mm-hmm. because yeah. they are awesome they are some of the most incredible people to walk this earth. How did they, what was their first reaction? Like when you walked through this yeah, yeah, jungle, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. What, how did some, they bring you some in? Some people uh, were excited. Mm-hmm. Um, some people were cautious mm-hmm. because a lot of times visitors aren't good. Did they know you were coming? Mm-mm. This was no, a surprise. No, we just surprised, just surprised wow. them. So, so this giant uh, man to them yeah, comes out of yeah. the bushes. So I've been, I've been, I've been uh, on my second, third trip. We went even deeper into the rainforest, and people would would scatter, run and hide behind trees. There's been one time uh, I came in, and I mean, I've been called the vanilla gorilla, vanilla gorilla, and, yeah. and things. And then uh, uh, I walked into one. Uh, this was called um, Bana Congo, and I walked into there, and they ran and just scattered uh, one person saw us before we got to the village mm-hmm. and so he like kind of alerted them when we saw people running they were hiding behind trees i had arrows i was the only uh american or westerner or white guy and so so um that looked different and hairy and uh so they're 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 got arrows drawn spears are out um and i'm saying nafika hapa kuwapinda Rafiki Yango, which basically just means, hey, I'm only here to love you. I'm your friend. And uh, you're my friend. And then uh, the person they sent out to meet me was a pregnant woman with a baby already and uh, sent her to the kind of the center of the village. She approached me very cautiously, almost scared, looked like she was about to cry. But then um, she like reached out and I have my arm hair is trimmed right now, but normally it's a lot longer mm-hmm. than this. <laughs> And uh, so she like reached out and touched my arm, felt my arm hair, and I smiled. And um, anyways, the baby actually laughed, or the like, kind of small child. Uh, and then she started saying some stuff, and I didn't know what she was saying. But basically, like, it's he's real. He's not a ghost. Um, he does look like half man, half lion, though. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we would laugh about that. I'd pull out a frisbee. We'd, they've never seen anything. They've never played catch, right? Never kicked a ball. Wow. And so being able to throw a frisbee, I know how to throw it, you know, where it looks like it's going way over there. So people would <laughs> run for it and then it would come right back to me. <laughs> uh, and so there's, there's just ways of like icebreakers and yeah. eating like they ate, sleeping like they slept. But on that first trip, I was like, Caleb, I just need one more sign. And if I get it, and he thought I was crazy, but uh, if I get it, like I'll, I'll dedicate my life to this. And so on the last, one of the last days, we're getting ready to head back to the plane because we couldn't miss that. Like they're coming at this time, uh, this day. And uh, can't the, miss that. yeah, can't miss that. <laughs> so they, 
the chief pulled us to the side and Caleb and Cullen are with me. And they said, Hey, the chief looks at me and says, we don't have a voice. Can you help us have one? Um, people call us the forest people, but we call ourselves the forgotten. And when he said forgotten, and I have in my bag, a piece of paper that says forgotten at the top of it, that's where the name fight for the forgotten came from and fighting for people and, and uh, kind of our vision statements, overcoming oppression with overwhelming opportunity. You know, their needs were land, water, food. I'm like, I, I, I told Caleb, I go, I can't do that. But when he said, and I said this before, he said, we don't have a voice. I was like, if they give me one thing, give me a sign of one thing I can mm -hmm. do. It's like, can you give us a voice? We don't have one. It's like, oh, I know Joe Rogan. I, I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm this or that. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can tell your story. Like, that's for sure what I can do. And now it's turned into over 3,000 acres of land. Our first goal was... 30 acres of land, right. two water wells. Wow. Now it's 3,000, over 3,080 water wells. We're getting ready to do a water reservoir. We built 32 homes from huts to homes. Um, we're getting ready to do not just a water reservoir that will serve 5,000 people immediately, up to 20,000 for infrastructure, future planning. But this is in Uganda because it's much safer to build these things. Okay. Um, and I would always go through there and I would live there as well. And um, I built up over two years in the last um, 10 years going back and forth probably more than that and then over um, two years yeah in time yeah. like collectively yeah hey friends we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far we just wanted to put a little message inside right here and say if the story that justin is sharing with all of us affects you in any way in your heart you can go to www.thekarmaproject.life to support his mission every little bit counts even if you're just sharing his mission with other people or sharing this podcast anything and everything helps as little as five dollars changes someone's life completely and always stay with them so that's what's great is uh where do you uh, sleep i sleep in one of the huts like when i get there they normally help me build a hut and yeah. so we're grabbing sticks we're um, that that bend and you make these arches and then you go get the these like either elephant ear looking leaves or banana leaves and a palm leaf is normally the door oh, and the wow. hut's about uh about four to five feet tall depending on how you build it and then yeah. uh uh the dirt's your bed and the fire's your space heater or your blanket kind of thing wow. um my record i let my year my beard grow for a year that i was there and uh, my record is pulling five roaches out of my beard in one night. Um, it looks like a nest, I guess. Uh, but but I, I, I'll tell you, that's like some of the happiest times I've ever had in my life is because what they do is, um, you talk about what, before we started, you, you talk about what you learn on the mats and how you take that in life. And me too, as a martial artist, what I've learned from mm -hmm. the mats, a black belt, you know, lives a life of service mm -hmm. and they know they're a lifelong student and all those things. but. What I've learned from them is some of the most valuable stuff I've learned. You guys are getting to build a, a community with this podcast. Mm -hmm. You already have um, through your teaching and your trainings, mm -hmm. but you now you're having these conversations. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I love that we're sitting on these because the most I've learned in my entire life was sitting around the campfire. Uh, they called that Campfire University is what they, they named it because that's where they took me to school about their culture. Wow. Um, sitting with the elders, their wives, the children. At the very beginning, not even understanding any of the language, but being able to 
to to smile until your cheeks hurt like hearing stories the three things you cannot take away from the pygmy people are the forest the fire and their singing and dancing um the singing and dancing you don't sing without dancing you don't dance without singing so um you know that's been some of my most fun like amy asked me the other day this is actually probably three or four days ago she said what what's been your favorite day um what's been the best day of your life and i was like well we just celebrated your birthday and that was awesome and we had 28 people around all sharing what they love about you and i just loved seeing you being loved on and me being able to cue that up like the gift is your presence and your gift is using your voice like she uses mm-hmm. her voice to bless others and she just looked at me and smiled and said that's so sweet she goes but what's really your best day and uh and I go, oh, well, that was my best day recently. And she goes, no, I want you to really think about it. What's, when, when was your happiest, healthiest, mm-hmm. most like fulfilling day? I was like, oh, that's easy. Um, I go, it's hard, but that's easy. was our second water well. It was in Babofi. And um, Leo May, the chief, said that the land we got him was actually the land his grandfather used to take him out hunting. And so he said, this is my grandfather's land. And because we have this land back, my grandson will be able to say, this is my grandfather's land and was his grandfather's land. And so we're, we're celebrating that We're they're teaching me new songs and dances, but it was the day we got the water well drilled. It was so hard because you can't drive a well drilling truck there. One anything shiny attracts problems like rebel groups and things they'll think it's drilling for gold or they'll think it's drilling for other things they're expensive plus there are no roads you're Mm -hmm. not on any real roads um so you're going over boulders and the trucks break down and they're they're garbage after a year or two so you have to do manual drilling out in the rainforest which we we have all options Mm -hmm. available to us now but at that time you're wrestling the earth you're using augers, single prong chisels, triple prong chisels, rock breakers, and tripods, and you're 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 wrestling with the earth to get 150 feet deep, or 60, 80, 90 feet deep, so you can secure a safe water source for them. And we'd pick up and we'd move and we'd drill a week here, and then it would start collapsing in on itself. And and it was one of my first rodeos, and we we weren't sure how to do it. We're trying to use every mm-hmm. technique that we know of. Um, but it took like 28 days to get the well there of hard work. And, and whenever you go to sleep at night, you're praying that it doesn't collapse and you put this, this seal in it to, um, this casing pipe to try to make sure it doesn't. But in some areas it was just filling up with the silty clay, like uh, inside of our casing pipe. Then we lose the pipe and then we have to pick up and move a football field away. And we were losing hope. We were losing hope, but we just kept going. And then, um, Basically, we drilled a well close to this woman that, that had lost her eyesight, had lost children due to waterborne disease. And like, see if we can do it right here. And I'm like, man, it didn't work there. It didn't work there. Why would it work here? Well, it did. It did work there. Um, they were losing their, using their intuition, which was awesome. She's the closest one living to that well um, and with her two children that, that are alive. And uh, that day, we decided to have a party. We we're going to celebrate and uh, they wrote, they wrote Mungu Anatupa Maji, which means God gave us water, which I love that because it was like, it's not me doing it. It's yeah. not our well drilling team doing it. It wasn't even them doing it. It's like the source of life and love like gave us water and they called it sweet water. So they went out and they were going hunting, but 
but they don't sometimes they don't get a, a wild game that day mm-hmm. because there's illegal logging there's other stuff they're scared and skittish of of humans so anyways um they have to go really deep in the forest and we were really deep in the forest so uh i made sure we got like a hog uh that we could slaughter um a uh goat that we could slaughter and uh then they brought back a, a dike or a wild antelope basically that we and they came back like kings someone else got honey uh, which they risked their lives for honey so they are going they're going up 100 foot in a tree wow. with african bees which are killer bees and their neighbors have no no clue how they can withstand the stings but they can and uh they huh. they get the honey out lower it down in a basket and they come back like heroes because it's wow. a delicacy and a luxury and that's just genetics that they can withstand the stings i think so or maybe they're just tough or maybe <laughs> maybe maybe because they're the protectors and the mm-hmm. people of the yeah, forest yeah, yeah, like sure. they get that it's a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. like they come and take some of our honey but they do this for the forest and mm-hmm. they're the keepers and i don't i don't know but they can literally wow. get stung and they don't die like neighbors will wow have you been sick ever with them? Oh yeah. And did they help treat? Oh yeah. Your illnesses uh, with? Well, I have socks on, but and they're long. But I have a scar on my ankle from a scorpion, and uh, oh. there's a scorpion that we think is the one that got me. It's called a death trotter. Oh, <laughs> um, yikes! So catchy name. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I uh, got up in the middle of the night to pee in moonlight, basically, and uh-huh. uh, I kicked up some leaves. And when I did, I went pop, pop. I got stung twice on my ankle. And it felt like I got hit with, I don't know, like an injection of like lava or something really, really hot, right? Boiling water. And instantly I was like, oh no. And so I called the chief and they just got a team scattered through the forest, ran out, got the different herbs and leaves and roots and fruits and, um, and pounded it up in a mortar and they put it on me. By that time I was already, I had a fever, my teeth were chattering. I didn't have Tylenol. Uh, I did have ibuprofen, so I took some ibuprofen. Um, but they put this paste on my ankle that they said would draw out the the venom or the sting, mm-hmm. poison, whatever you call it. And um, I got better. I got wow. better, but I did. Uh, uh, it did get infected, and so I had to go to Uganda to see a doctor named Doctor Happy. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've ever shared this, but Dr. Happy made me cry. This, uh, this female Ugandan uh, doctor who used these like alligator scissors thing because it was, uh, oh. it was infected, but, but uh, she's like, wow, I'm glad you survived. Like some people die from that. And wow. um, so anyway, she, she uh, had to rip off the scab and treat it and all that stuff. But yeah, initially, I mean, I felt like, oh shoot, my, my heart felt like it was fluttering or, or or i could feel it pounding yeah oh my gosh. and uh after that pace like i got i got better and uh just just knew they were with me too yeah yeah so oh but on the happiest day the last thing and then i want you to ask uh we celebrate uh-huh. we eat we feast we're celebrating clean water they're asking me questions like are you telling me there's been water under our feet this whole time <laughs> and, and uh i'm like yeah and isn't it cool we got it and so they show so many songs so many cultural dances i'm getting in on them uh we eat so much people have honey and and they like just crush it right they're eating it like it's we're (laughs) sticky but we're we're sticky we're hot we're in the hot rainforest it gets so humid there you can see your breath almost like it's cold but but it's so like 100 percent humidity you're breathing out and you see your breath because it's so hot and humid that's crazy and normally that's hard for me to sleep 
it's hard for me to go to sleep sweaty mm-hmm. sticky yeah. gross it's all of um, them and yeah and but we danced until the sun was basically coming up all night long which that's the only time i've done that there but before the sun started coming up there was this moment where there's these like kind of fireflies the, we called it Tundu. It was the hole in the forest. So you can only see the sky, and I'd have to wait for a satellite to, to fly over to get my phone out if I had a problem with well drilling. And so the stars are out, no cloud in the sky, but there's canopy everywhere. But it looked like stars were everywhere because there was these fireflies, but even on the ground, there's these like glow worms. And so basically it was like the forest was was coming to life and celebrating with us. Here's the stars, here's the fireflies, here's the glow worms. We're all dancing, we're hearing the the parrots and the monkeys and yeah. it was just epic to where I went back to sleep or went back into my hut and I lay down in the dirt and I'm covered in dirt that's wet that's turning to mud and I'm I all I remember falling asleep that night was my cheeks were hurting I was still smiling and I was out like a light and <laughs> I just it was the best feeling in the world it was it was it was victory over death like clean water for them they're standing on a battlefield of giants so yeah. I think of like David and Goliath or something like like this is their giant but mm-hmm. it's it giants there's a one with the name cholera another E coli another right. one typhoid another one uh, you know, uh, intestinal parasites or amoebas or bacterias mm-hmm. that are all in their water. And so I've been to the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals. I was just had uh, my friends all three win gold, two win silver, one win, win the bronze medal at the Jiu Jitsu World Championships. I've been to these things, UFC 100, 200. There's not a crowd or a sound in the world that could crowd out or dwarf the sound of like a small village getting clean water for the first time hmm. like it's just epic it's the sound when water comes out and it fills up a bucket or a cup to me that's it's the sweet. sound of like a giant hitting the dirt <laughs> and wow. um like yeah like that that's not going to take them out anymore wow. so have that, you ever shared your vision with them oh yeah and what did they say oh yeah i just kind of they it kind of makes sense yeah um, I'm going to go back and share it again. I'll go back in October and I'll, I'll, I'll try to hold on to it more, have it more in depth conversation. Um, but for them, they have, they have all sorts of ceremonies, uh, which I think we've lost a lot in our culture of like mm-hmm. rites of passage and yeah. from into womanhood or manhood. Um, but yeah, uh, they, they will have a boga there. I've never done that. Uh, mm-hmm. that's the only psychedelic I think I haven't done mm-hmm. uh, that I know of. And, um, yeah, they have like types of like vision quests and they have dances where they'll paint themselves all basically white head to toe and have like either a grass skirt or a mm-hmm. bark cloth skirt on or, or pants. And yeah, I'm trying to think about, I told them that I, I, I do. You remind me of this. I do remember whenever I told them about my suicide attempt, mm-hmm. they did not get it, did not understand it because they said why would anyone ever hurt themselves if you hurt you it hurts us and we need you and they live in community right Mm -hmm. so uh if these twig leaf huts like you only go in there to sleep or to rest in the heat of day or when you're sick but if there's like a uh 
conflict between a between spouses or husband mm-hmm. and wife or, or just friends mm-hmm. the whole village knows about it right. like you can't hide that and this is a weird one I, i've never shared this but uh i remember one time i i was sick mm-hmm. and my stomach was bothering me and i'd eaten these old fish from the market that we had in these bags and it was hot and they would rehydrate them and make them into like a stew and i was the one that really got food poisoning from it and uh so i'm sick but anyways uh uh, I was just had gas <laughs> and so I just I just couldn't so I, I let one out and uh, <laughs> terrible I'm sharing this with a big community y'all's community but anyways <laughs> kids start giggling all around the village and, and uh, I'm like poli uh, poli poli which means basically poli poli means slowly but poli once means sorry mm. so I'm like sorry <laughs> and uh, they're giggling laughing and someone else lets one out. And someone else lets one out. And also, it was like musical chairs, musical farts, or whatever. Uh, yeah, farts. dude, it was it was awful and awesome at the same time because the whole village was laughing. But I think that just maybe can exemplify that that you know you can't hide anything there, which means you live in true community. Yeah. Right. Like here, if we have a fight, we can go to our house, we can distract with our phones, we can have our house, our fight in our house and no one else knows mm-hmm. about it. We can be as mean as we want or manipulative as we want and only one person knows mm-hmm. that and then they have to go explain it to someone else mm-hmm. and then now it's your side versus their side mm-hmm. type thing. But whenever you're actually having conflict in a community where another hundred people can hear or at least a few other hear, like they can bring you to the fire mm-hmm. and sit around it and say what's going on how can we help we heard this we heard that and we're here for you you know i've only seen one person kicked out of a village and um and it was because it probably needed to happen you Mm -hmm. know an alcoholic guy that had had been physical physical with some people um and then this was a time they weren't living on their own land Mm -hmm. they were calling someone master and the guy got drunk again he hit his master's wife Oh and um, and they got in a fight, and then they had tried to have three or four, basically interventions with them. Mm-hmm. Set them around the fire. This can't continue. Set them around the fire. This can't continue. Set them around the fire. This can't continue. And then it happened again. And then for the good of the entire community, they had to ask him uh, to leave. Wow. Um, and I really liked that guy. His name was Baiwanja, and uh, and. Where does yeah. he go? Like, where, if somebody gets kicked out of the community, like, where do they go? Well, I I, I liked him, but then he's, I know he's in prison now, there in oh. Congo, which um, is hard. You know, if you don't make the changes and you're invited to the change, mm-hmm. you're invited to grow, you're invited mm-hmm. to stop. Right. You don't make those changes. Um, it's, it's hard for people. Yeah. Um, so, has, yeah. Has that kind of transparency and community changed your behavior coming back oh yeah yeah i don't like um i know this is an interview so i'm getting to talk a lot but but i I don't i don't i enjoy going deep Mm -hmm. beneath the topsoil yeah Mm -hmm. like what's what's real yeah and um and so some of the questions of like what do you do it's like well i mean i i can say what i do but i want to ask you more like who who are you what is like 
Like the pygmy people are the best fathers in the world, according to anthropologists. They're also the most oppressed people on earth. That's fascinating. But as the best fathers, quote unquote best father, the, the criteria for that is that they hold their children more than 50% of the time, the men. Really? Huh. Yes. So while I was there, like uh, Amy just saw this picture of me the other day. Um, and it's like three photos side by side, or she scrolled through them. And I'm holding this this little infant and his uh his father had just put him in my arms and i'm looking at at his father then i'm looking at the baby and then i'm looking down at my shirt because they don't have diapers there so like <laughs> the baby peed all over my shirt um but it was just different because like the the fathers are so involved and also even in comparison to the the neighboring tribes or villages mm -hmm. like they're just they're just different like they 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 love well they're great husbands they're great fathers like they're great providers uh whenever they whenever they have the resources to do that um but going out and hunting and all that like teaching the grandfathers are so active in their children grandchildren's lives like teaching them how to make nets mm. and and create spears and it's just really really active and so i think for me it's changed a lot because i'll be a lot more transparent in conversations I'll be a lot more real and I, or not real, like, but I want to really be authentic with people and yeah. hopefully that creates a space to where they can be that back. Mm -hmm. and that's um, really beautiful in a society where we're filled with masking ourselves with a perceived identity and yeah. trying to protect, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're like, there's so much truth that people hold back from out of mm -hmm. fear, I find. Yeah. And, and to be able to pursue that kind of depth. I appreciate um, that so much because yeah, it's, so. it's, it's something that we've actually talked a lot about. Like, you know, when you go to social events, let's just say, and that, like I started almost hating going to a lot of social events mm. because I feel like there's this need to be something. They're like, oh, you know, what do you do? What do you do for a living? You know, Everyone's those like poking and prodding. Yeah, each other. where it's yeah. like if I'm going to have and immerse myself in a conversation, like I want to understand you. Yeah. I want to know what in your heart, like I, yeah. you know, it's like what you're saying, like having deeper conversations to actually understand the human being that's mm -hmm. inside here, not mm -hmm. the avatar that we're yeah. playing to be to kind of survive in the society with egos and, you know, all of those yeah. kind of superficial things. It's like, I want to understand your soul. And it's so beautiful to see that, like, I mean, you got to experience it mm -hmm. in such a natural, raw way, living with these incredible tribes and people like, yeah. That is so, so life-changing. I, I mean, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for you to even come mm -hmm. back to yeah. America after an experience like that. Like That was hard. Uh -huh. um, it, was, it was much harder to come back home than to go there. Wow. Um, like much harder. And, and you just told a crazy story about going there. Yeah. So that's a, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. statement. <laughs> no, that's a huge oh, statement. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Well, so my second trip, I, my only goal, and I went alone, uh, was I had four goals. Live with listen to learn from love them mm -hmm. so that way i can't go in there and i saw what i felt from just my first trip and conversations are like people come and they try to do this or that and we feel like a human safari where people just come to take our pictures or right. to put up a sign saying we did this and then it doesn't work it breaks right the average water well <clears throat> needs maintenance in under a year because it's a max load on it every single day. Mm -hmm. And so the average nonprofit has a 40% success rate wow. when you actually look at it. And there's over 230,000 broken wells in Africa. 
that's billions of wasted charitable dollars um that's because the locals aren't empowered Mm -hmm. to do it for themselves they're not equipped with the tools or educated with the knowledge it has to be someone else doing it for them almost putting them on the bench or on the sidelines saying we're we're here to do this for you and so i call it the show up blow up blow out technique um where you show up and you have a parade and you throw a party and you get your pictures and then you leave and i think that's more it's kind of facade that it's for these people yeah but really it's for the people doing the work and then they leave and and there's no follow-through there's no there's no follow-up it's there's no virtue signal yeah mm-hmm. like yeah. in a terrible way mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow. because because it leaves them worse worse off than before mm-hmm. because they feel like they're stripped of dignity um they mm-hmm. can't do it for themselves mm-hmm. um they weren't taught how to do it for themselves even if they asked uh, the people don't have a system set up to where mm-hmm. hey this is about training it's deeper than than the well it's right. it's community development it's infrastructure and it's transformational conversations of like what do you need and listening mm-hmm. how will this work if we do it this way what okay it won't so why why won't it and how can we do it to where it will work mm-hmm. and be self-sustainable or y'all sustaining it mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> my first trip and then I came back, or second trip, and then I came back. Um, I held a young boy named Andy Bo. He was 12 years old, or sorry, one and a half years old. And he, uh, he passed away because of dirty water. And I was holding his little hand and cupping the back of his head. And blood came out of his ears, and his mother was sitting across from me. And I could count every rib attaching to her sternum. Um, you know, she was sitting there topless, uh, um, and, and she was starving and she's sick and she lost her husband due to waterborne disease. She lost her other son due to waterborne disease. Now she's all alone and she was in shock. She was in shock so much that, and not just shock, but she was so depleted and dehydrated, um, that I went out and got her some mango some fish some rice and came back and and brought it to her it wasn't until she had sustenance food and 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 juice that she could actually weep once she got food into her she was able to start to weep and cry so um i went to kind of the market and i brought back a shovel and i brought back a, 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 a a a casket and the slave master said it was cheaper to bury them than to keep them alive. They were denied hospital treatment, not once, but twice. His mom was told the first time, you're too dirty to come in here. Second time, she was told, we won't waste our medicine on a pygmy animal. First person that said it was a nurse. Second one to say it was a doctor, said the real reason. That crushed me. And I started asking real questions about how much were the pills that would have cured them. It was a dollar. Okay, how much? Uh, it was too late in the game for the pills, so he needed the shot. Okay, well, how much was the shot? Three dollars, uh, basically, of Congolese franc. And I'm like, okay, the shovel I'm holding is six dollars. The casket we're going to bury him in was thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had brought three and a half dollars of Congolese franc. They were enslaved. They didn't have money, but they begged for it. I'm talking about 85 plus people begging for this to come up with three and a half dollars. 
They had a chicken. They had um, a bag of charcoal and they had firewood and they're still turned away. And I was like, this isn't about them having the money or not. This is really what you guys said. It's like, we won't waste it on them. And so I helped dig the grave. I had blisters on my hands from doing that. Like, but, but I was there and I'm like, what can I do? Like I, at this time, second trip, I don't know how to drill wells yet. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm big and I'm strong. And so I can at least help dig the grave. That's something I can do. <clears throat> but coming back, you said how uh, that's a big statement, how it's harder coming back. <clears throat> I came back from that determined that if I'm using the toilet in clean water, if I'm giving my dog every sip of clean water, if I'm watering my lawn with clean water, if X, Y, Z, if I can go to the bars or the restaurants or Starbucks and I can get free water given to me, it's the one drink they don't charge you for a glass of water. Yeah. It's like, they should have it. This is my man, B tech. He's like a brother to me. This guy's helped get them new land, drill plenty of water wells. Now there's big water tanks, yep. solar system, water taps going to every single family member. What else? They, what do they need now? They need a medical center, Santa. school. School, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so we're so grateful for the Boho Beautiful family and community. So grateful for the Stars and Destruct podcast. Really thank you for the work. Uh, <laughs> we hope to put it together and we do good things for God. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, so hey, please donate today. We would really appreciate it. Yeah, we're so grateful for you. Thank you. Yeah. And so I come back, and I'm already thinking this. I'm journaling it on my trip back. I, I didn't tell people about burying Andy Bo for well over a month. It might have been two months before I even told my mother about it. Um, just because I didn't know how to like digest it, process yeah, of course. it. Of course. And because whenever I got this story is why I was like, oh, how do I tell anyone this? There was a mission trip that was going to Haiti um, in Atlanta. I landed in Atlanta. Before I go to baggage claim, I stopped by Popeye's chicken. Um, I like Popeye's. So uh, <laughs> well, I stopped into Popeye's and there's a mother and daughter they have these blue shirts on that look like a Swedish flag almost because they had a yellow cross. It was like Haiti, 2012, 2013, mm -hmm. 2012. And I see them and the daughter, I'm standing behind them. The daughter's trying to get Coke, uh, Coca-Cola. And she's filling it up. Her mom grabs her hand and says, pour that out, get water. You don't need to drink Coca-Cola, which I get, like be healthy, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but the daughter's like, she's 13, 14 years old. She goes, mom, they're not going to have coca-cola and or coke in haiti i'm gonna have one soda before we go and the mom instantly goes you're grounded for a week if you take a sip of that and so and she takes a sip of it and she goes you're grounded for two weeks and then uh the girl storms out goes mom i hate you and storms out and i know coming from congo just now and i had been to haiti before mm -hmm. i'm like y'all are about to have your worlds rocked yeah worlds rocked one Coke is everywhere, basically. Like you can almost get it in the rainforest uh, in Africa, and but two, like y'all are fighting over sugar water. Someone's being grounded, and someone's saying "I hate you" to their own mother over a soda, sugar water. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like and this isn't like to say my experiences. Like I'm I'm better for it or better than someone else it's just it was it was it was eye-opening yeah there's a reality it's it like was, a reality check yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. and it's it, we find it actually a lot when we've traveled and you know 
nothing in comparison, but to, you know, place, places Cambodia. like Cambodia, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. different pla islands in Indonesia and things like that. And then you end up back in like a Vancouver airport and yeah. the value structure here, it's not to like, again, like it's not about like they're terrible people or oh, anything yeah, like that, course. but it's just such a difficult integration. Mm. It's, it's almost like they just don't know. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's like power or this or that. It's like, do you guys understand what people are really, yeah. truly struggling with? Yeah. And it, it's hard for me to rationalize or, or, or reconcile in my mind. How come the people that literally have the least sometimes have so much more joy, yeah. peace, true friendships, real relationships. And here when we have so much, we also feel like we have so little mm -hmm. and like, I don't know that depression is a real thing there. I mean, they get sad, mm -hmm. but they definitely don't think about self harm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, here I've attempted suicide twice, me personally. And I, I lost seven people in 2021, five by suicide, one, uh, by overdose and one by natural causes. But I was just looking at that and I was going and sharing a eulogy here, going and sharing a eulogy there. And I'm like, oh, freak. Like these guys knew my mm -hmm. story. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. But I think talking about um, one of the differences, I, I, I came back here and, you know, kids here, uh, and I'm not saying we're bad, they're good. I mm -hmm. totally. But uh, I just noticed. Um, had someone that had a nephew and it was just mine, mine, mine. Mm -hmm. And there I was on that same day that we were getting ready to do the well celebration in Bobofi. Best day ever. I'm tired because we got up early, we worked hard mm -hmm. and I sit down on a, a, a tree, like a log that was falling over and a kiddo comes back that got done from a full day's wages or full day labor. And he gets out his wages. It's 10 to 12 peanuts. That he had been given like act literal literal yeah peanuts. 10 or 12 peanuts Jesus. sometimes you get paid in a banana for a whole day's labor wow. or a uh, fish but really the fish is more like a minnow like a minnow or two Jesus. and so um i'm sitting there and he sits beside me and he grabs my hand and he, i look tired and he i have like my hand kind of in a fist not like tightened but it's closed and he opens my hand and I don't know what's in his hands. And he lets out five or six peanuts. Oh my gosh. And he shares half of his day's wages with me, not knowing we were going to have a feast later. But, uh, but I was like, no, 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 no. Honestly, trying to give it back. And basically I'm saying, no, it's mine is yours and you're tired and yeah. like eat, eat. Wouldn't take no for an answer, right? Like, like please, like yeah. a joy of giving, yeah. a joy of sharing a joy of like sharing in each other's suffering. Mm -hmm. That's what they talk about is like, you don't suffer alone. We're with you. Like, I mean, just, wow. you know, anything you have going on, they, they step in. Do you think this entire experience that really brought a, a different awakening for you clearly, yeah. do you think that was also a path of healing for you? Because you mentioned, you know, you, you had addiction, mm -hmm. you were depressed, you attempted suicide. All of that was before this experience, right? Yes and no. Yes and no. So yes. And then I came back and I got married and there's nothing against uh, my ex-wife at all. I, she's awesome. Um, but we, 
I really got um, back into the culture here knowing what life could be like. Mm -hmm. um, and had an injury, had a surgery, got back on pills. You were fighting as well? At I was fighting time? as okay. well, too. So you came back to fight? Came back to fighting so I could fight for them and speak about them. And we'd get thousands of donations, um, you know, fighting for a million people or something, and tell them, you know, I've had one of our well drillers in my corner for a fight, you know, wow. and him being able to come to America and we went and watched a movie. <laughs> and you would have thought it was crazy for him. And thinking about credit cards and giving, <laughs> giving, giving someone, you're walking through the grocery store, you give someone your credit card and they just give it right back to you. You didn't give them anything i'm like no i did and they're like no you didn't give them anything how 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 does this work That's you know and uh so there's been a lot of a lot of joy but i would say that when addiction came back because i was free from it for like five or six years wow. mm -hmm. but whenever it came back it came back with like a vengeance or i didn't know what to do and i sought out the best coaching in the world for MMA and every style or discipline, mm -hmm. um, even in the nonprofit world, the people that are helping us start the hospital and school, uh, the people donating $1.5 million of medical equipment as Project Cure, their founder helped me start Fight for the Forgotten. The CEO, his, his uh, son, has been a mentor of mine for, for a decade. Mm -hmm. The founder of Engineers Without Borders that's uh, coming with me in October. He has 17,000 engineers that work for Engineers Without Borders, and now he stepped out of that role, is still the dean of, uh, of uh, engineering at the University of Colorado. He's coming with me to help spearhead this, make sure everything's a success. Hmm. Um, you know, there's been some, some really great things, but I've sought out great coaching, but whenever it came to the biggest fight of my life, which was mental health and addiction, mm -hmm. I never saw anyone I never talked to anyone I never had therapy so I think that finding community mm -hmm. is honestly they say group therapy is the most helpful thing having a one-on-one -on -one in tandem right like right. group therapy with a, a personal therapist or counselor mm -hmm. that's and having community like those mm -hmm. three that's the magic I think but I think it took me facing it all feeling it all for magic to happen or a miracle to be born in my own life mm -hmm. Because I would say maybe I got, I was giving, giving, giving to, I went from, from only giving to myself, fighting for me, selfish, mm -hmm. taking every drug, to then fighting for them and, and giving all these things while building up traumatic experiences and not addressing them. Right. Um, and so I think now being able to address them, know that all that was for a purpose and I would gladly yeah. do it again yeah. um, and go through a lot more as long as I have these resources and people mm -hmm. and things in place so wow. yeah so go ahead i was just gonna say so you think um because you mentioned your traumatic experiences and also ptsd yeah. right so from some of the things that you witnessed yeah in africa like which is very traumatic coming back to america you think that coping with it is what triggered the addiction to come back because you needed some sort of like mechanism to, to deal with reintegration in this society but also knowing what you know now like, that's a great question um and a great thought i i think that i built up traumatic experiences and didn't, didn't wouldn't look at them i would mm -hmm. just look at keep going and honestly keep piling them on type mm -hmm. thing um but i think i think for me personally well, it was the surgery that really set me back with like 
oxy again, my drug of choice. What surgery was that? It was a shoulder surgery. Um, my labrum, I have four pins, mm-hmm. uh, four anchors in my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I'd be completely immobilized for eight full weeks, but I couldn't train again for a year. And so, I mean, I was able to do some PT, but I wasn't able to be back on the mats. And for me, I'm never better than whenever I'm training in martial arts and serving people. So if I can do those things together, yeah. like that's that's my happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got back on the pills and then, um, how to say it, just that, I think that, that I felt like home for me was with, in Africa like that's home um until I found Austin I think like that for me that's the only place I would get homesick for was there Mm -hmm. but here I would feel at home if I had a substance in my body like I would or at least distracted or numb Mm -hmm. like that was a comfort zone for me for years Mm -hmm. to where I didn't have to feel the the pain or Mm -hmm. be depressed even though I was exacerbating it or whatever you call it magnifying it I would forget about it so um yeah and then i and then honestly i went on a i went on a two or three year journey with like psychedelics which i think had given me a lot of good things um but i think a danger zone for me was that i was looking at them as the magic pill or the magic Mm -hmm. potion Mm -hmm. or the cure um and sometimes it was being advertised and maybe i would build it up even more in my mind right. some people say this one will cure this yeah. or yeah. fix that and i think it always has to be the deep work afterwards the integration yeah. and so i wasn't doing that i was chasing experiences mm-hmm. at times and so it became a danger zone for me where now i just have to be completely sober wow. yeah. so and now you are yeah mm-hmm. it's been great it's been great like this hospital and school and everything wouldn't be possible That's, um well, there's a light in you there's Thanks. like the second you walked in this room yeah like yeah, we felt you. the this entire space light up it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful thanks and i don't i can't compare it to anything but i can say it's a very unique uh presence that you that you hold that you hold in the space you're in Thank in you. this conversation is like it's 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 sharing that in in mm-hmm. such a to understand the depth of that is really beautiful yeah. mm-hmm. um, wow so now and, you're you know you talk about the fighting for the forgotten yeah so you're back fighting now right yeah full i'm healing up from a car accident and then uh i could have had a fight tomorrow oh wow (laughs) um and there's one potentially december 3rd one maybe january 29th Uh um so i'm just healing up i was sitting with one of the ufc matchmakers i've been sitting with um this last weekend we're we're all in talks with where i'm gonna land where i'm gonna end Mm -hmm. up um, but Bellator's still an option. I had a contract with them, and PFL has a million-dollar heavyweight tournament coming out next year. I'm wanting to be where there's the most exposure for the cause. Um, so I want it to make sense for me, but mm-hmm. I want it to really make sense for the reason I'm coming back. So you truly like your like the purpose is so interesting. Like you're fighting, but you're fighting for something other than the fight itself. Yes, I would say that if you looked at history or or those standout underdog stories mm-hmm. of the olympian who was the dark horse no one had him uh, this last weekend my friend john carlo he wasn't even seated at the tournament and i knew our team knew everyone was like he's got the reasons he's gonna win it <laughs> he, he's the guy 
he is very technically sound. He's put in all this work, mm -hmm. but he has more reasons than these other guys do. So he blew everybody out of the water and ended up winning and no one had their eyes on him hmm. except us, our team, because we knew him. And you see the Olympian that I did it for the memory of my mother who died of cancer. I did it for uh, the inner city where I came from to show these girls it's possible. And for me, I, I don't think there's a moment of truth in fighting, which is when that cage door locks, uh, whether it's on the amateur level or beginning of pros or when you're in the big show for the first time and all the lights are on and millions of people are watching that cage door locks it's a moment of truth it's like um you know some people are hit with anxiety and fear mm -hmm. and then they're almost paralyzed by that and they don't mm -hmm. perform but for me i i coming back and fighting for them it's given me this mentality of like oh I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Huh. And uh, so I know that when I look them in the eyes and that I'm going to be drilling more water wells and we're going to be wow. building a maternity ward and there's going to be safer births and safer, like the mother and child mortality rate during labor is going to go down drastically because we're going to have midwives there. We're going to have incubators in case they're premature. Like um, we're going to be treating malaria and waterborne disease, which I've had both of those. I know how important it is. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I'm coming back. And wow, that's uh, such a beautiful intention. Like the fire in your heart. Yeah. It's not the ego. Like when you speak of that, like you think fighting, right? It's it's an ego. Like yeah, yeah. I'm the champion. You hold the belt and everything. But that's like that's the glamour of it. Right? That's the glamour that, like, as you speak about it, that's no longer there for you. Like you're truly yeah. fighting for something greater than you. Yeah. Growing up, yeah, I got really heavily bullied. And so when I was 13, I found MMA wow. and I said, I'm going to be one of those guys because these guys don't get bullied. Mm. And so I went in there with a chip on my shoulder trying to prove I can be one of these guys and not be the laughing stock of the school or the party or whatever. Like maybe I'll get invited to a party instead mm. of uh, this or that or the other. And so I did have a chip on my shoulder and then it wasn't fulfilling. I would get my hand raised and I would think, is this it? Mm -hmm. is this all and it's not like that for every athlete but mm -hmm. for me it was i would get my hand raised i'd be like that wasn't what i was hoping for uh, i did after a national championship got my hand raised and i was like yeah i did it you know for yeah. wrestling yeah. then i got an mma got into it early and then from there i was like well that didn't fulfill me what will maybe drinking or drugs or partying or this or that and then it was like win or lose i had an excuse to use right. and um and so now I really think I, I probably said it in a different way, but it's it's the person with the most reasons usually wins. Mm -hmm. And so and so back then you were winning. Yeah. But there was an absence of something. Yeah. Then I was winning to prove something to everybody right. else or prove something to myself. Even no, from I like don't. your traumas as a child, like, yeah. you know, the traumas that you took on from being bullied from. Yeah. Yeah, at a young age mm -hmm. that was kind of the the fire for you yeah at first and now it's yeah. like uh ringside mm -hmm. we're gonna have probably b-tech our main well driller that taught me how mm -hmm. to drill wells he hasn't been to the u.s yet so we'll have him ringside um it's hard to bring anyone from the the pygmy tribe over they don't have any paperwork they don't have right. a license mm -hmm. they don't they don't have a picture of themselves until we take family portraits laminate it and give it back to them and it's the greatest gift you've ever given them oh my god and uh then we'll probably have raiden raiden is a young man uh, who's now doing jujitsu but 
two years ago, I met him after he was being bullied at school, and he was beat up at the school urinal. They filmed it and put it on uh, social media. Oh. The next day at the bus stop, they filmed it, put it on social media. The next day, I was with him with my friend Rafael Lovato Jr., world champion in fighting. Hmm. And we were with him, and then I took him to. I just I posted about it about a month after being friends with him, and his parents wanted to be advocates against bullying, and so I had a little press conference where they forgave the kids that that did this hmm. to him. Raiden has autism, uh, is on the spectrum, and uh, he um, is deaf in his right ear, so he has a hearing aid. Um, he gained 110 pounds in 11 months, so 10 pounds a month because of the medications they put him on for childhood diabetes and other things. So he was just targeted. Um, his life has completely changed now through martial arts. Also, there's a big blitz in LA we got to do where SEAL Team with CBS, now Paramount, brought us out there. He was starting scenes. They wrote in a character named Raiden. Oh, uh, we took beautiful. him to medieval times. He got knighted by the queen and the squire <laughs> going through it. We went to uh, the Disneyland, went to Disneyland, and then uh, Chewbacca gave us a tour of all oh of Disneyland. God. We went to the LA Rams game, and we're standing on the sidelines before and after, and even during the game, one of the players snuck us onto the field. Uh, they're fist bumping them as they're coming off. Uh, what else? I mean, we went surfing. Uh, Kelly Slater and Laird Hamilton were helping out, and oh went God. surfing for the first time. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen the beach. Oh he was from gosh. Oklahoma. Wow. Uh, and uh, he just got loved on by so many people. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely epic. Some of his favorite people on TV came over and we threw a surprise birthday party mm -hmm. for him. The two, two, uh, it was something similar to me, like the two Christmas or birthday parties he had the years before, no one showed up. No one showed up. So we made sure his favorite character from Disney was there and loved on him. Oh, and so, uh, so Raiden will be their ringside when I fight next. B-Tech will be their ringside when I fight next. A guy named Chris, who's mm -hmm. gone through addiction that I absolutely love, um, he'll be their ringside for my next fight. So um, there's yeah. a lot of reasons. Hi guys, I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Now, if anything that you've heard from Justin's story has touched your heart, I know it has ours, you can join and be part of his mission by going to www.thekarmaproject.life. You can read all about the fight for the forgotten and how you can support and save lives of the Batwa Pygmies. Thank you guys. What does a training look like for you? Like, yeah, I think it takes a lot. Uh, the team I'm with now mm -hmm. had the most inspiring sports weekend of my life this this last weekend. Um, but those guys, they're young, they're smart, um, but they don't just train smarter; they train harder also. So mm -hmm. they pair it together. Right. They're they're training seven days a week, twice a day, every day. Um, How many yeah. hours? Uh, from 8 to 10 or 11, and then from 1 to 4 or 5. Wow. So That's amazing. Yeah, every single day. There's no excuses. So um, I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, five days a week there training. Mm -hmm. um, so those long training sessions. But one of the reasons is because these guys are mostly jiu-jitsu and I'm MMA. And so we have an MMA class that starts at 12. And when we have the MMA class, they bump their training back to two. So when I go in, it's from 12 to 
mm. to four thirty or five. So if I hit that morning class, it's really hard for me to go back. It's like basically eight a.m. to mm-hmm. an hour break, all the way to five. Um, <clears throat> so for longevity and me being thirty-five, um, I'm switching it up to where it's five days a week, yeah. two times a day, and then the other days I'm getting in some sort of active recovery, mm-hmm. which is maybe yoga or maybe a walk um, or ice bath and sauna yeah. and things like that but yeah boxing wrestling jujitsu kickboxing uh strength and conditioning and putting it all together wow. um so the average mma fighter trains about five days a week two to three times a day um some of them do six that's days amazing. a week this team does seven that's incredible <laughs> yeah that's and whenever you start to feel tired and you know demotivated, because that happens to all of us. Yeah. Not to me. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, what fuels you like to get back up? Uh, I honestly think it's shifting to, um, I can't do this in, in the MMA room as much, mm-hmm. but I can still, I, I'm having to find and create my own boundaries and set my own intentions which is like I, 35 and having had surgeries and different things, like I can't go to war every single day, multiple times a day. So now I try to find time to play, whether Mm -hmm. that's at strength and conditioning. Um, I'm wanting to start learning acro yoga from, from Aaron. He's put me up in there like two or three different times and I don't get to touch the ground for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. And <laughs> afterwards I feel better than I ever have. Like yeah. my back stretched out and mm-hmm. loose and right. feel like I can run through a wall if I wanted to. Right. Um, so, and then also treating some of the training sessions, like beforehand telling my partner, um, Hey, you know, this role, I just want to flow. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be so hard nosed. Like my body needs this mm-hmm. rest. I still want to move. Mm-hmm. I still want to get my lungs mm-hmm. pumping mm-hmm. and my blood flowing. But, but I don't, uh, this isn't a round where like you're trying to win, I'm trying to win. And if you want to win, you can win, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to be here. Yeah, yeah. And so finding that way to like kind of reconnect with it, just having fun with it again. So really and listening so, to the body. Yeah. And like the signals, yeah, the messages. For, for instance, ice baths. Yeah. Because I'm an addict, I can, I can take things to the absolute extreme. Uh, the... And I used to have a hard time saying that because I'm an addict and identifying with that. But I, I, I'm starting to know myself more. And I say, like, oh, yeah, if, the, if one's good, mm-hmm. a thousand's better. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came to ice baths, uh, I would, I almost every day, I missed it this morning because I had that doctor's appointment. But almost every day I do three to five minutes in the ice bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have one at the house. It's a, it's a great one. It's really cold. And which, which one is it? Morosco, oh, Morosco yeah. Forge. Jason and Adrian own it, and it's the coldest ice bath in the world. Okay, um, and that's serious. you could make the whole thing a four foot block of ice if you wanted to. Wow. And um, but it's self cleaning. It's ozone. It's it's really really good. I got to help my friend Brigham get it and get get one to Joe Rogan and some other people, and um, they're nice. Yeah, they're yeah, nice. Yeah. I love them. If y'all want to come over an ice bath sometime, you can. And <laughs> love to. <laughs> but I don't but, know if it, in the in the cube of ice, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll get it warmed up a little. So, but I used to have to be set on a timer, and so the records for Morozco Forge, who spent the longest time in there, I've got the record. Oh, um, wow. So one is better, a thousand is great. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, someone did fifteen, 
uh, Jocko Willink's son did like 19 or 20. Joe Rogan did 20. The owner did like 26. And I was like, cool, I got you guys all beat. (laughs) And so I did 33 minutes and 33 seconds at 33 degrees. Oh my Um, God. And honestly, I felt great after it. I went wake surfing in Austin for the first time after that. Um, And I got up every time and i felt great i sat in a warm bath for about five or ten minutes and then i got out went straight to the lake to be outside to Mm -hmm. be in the sun but i still look back at that and i'm like okay that was the one time i did it another time i did it for 12 minutes and i got hypothermia it wasn't in theirs it was in a colorado river this was one of the first times i did it so I think knowing your body, knowing where you're at, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully this making sense. One of the first times I got in an ice bath was a river before the Ultimate Fighter finale. I didn't know a moving river needed to be below 32 to freeze. So there was like six oh, or eight wow. or 10 feet of ice on the side. And then there was like this eddy I could get in behind a boulder. And so I did that. But my dog was trying to get in, um, I guess, to save me. It was a Connie Corso Italian massive, <laughs> 165 pounds, trying to jump into... Oh my god! The ice water with me. So my friend, a heavyweight fighter, pulled him out. He was so obedient. Snap, he'd lay down or sit. Snap twice, he'd lay down. He was freaking out and he wasn't listening to us. He knew, I guess, his name was Knuckles. I guess Knuckles knew my body was shutting down. Um, I didn't even know. He could sense it. So they put him back in the car, come back out and said, okay, get out. It's been 12 minutes. Uh, I was trying to go for 10 and whenever he put my car back or dog mm-hmm. back in the car uh it had been 12. i i'm sitting in a squat in the water and i try to stand up i can't move i'm like frozen almost like i'm trying to stand up i can't uh, i'm trying to raise my arm out of the water i can't oh my god and so wow. my buddy josh got in the water pulled me out got me into a hot spring about an hour uh, i stayed in there for about an hour hour and a half my teeth were chattering basically the whole time. Um, so the reason I say that was I can take it to the extremes there, but mm-hmm. then I really dialed it back to where I'm just doing three to five minutes, three yes. to five minutes, three wow. to five minutes, three to five minutes. That's mm-hmm. it. We're two to three. Two mm-hmm. to three is fine. Yeah. Um, where any cold is good cold. Like yeah. it's just good for your body cold if it's shower. a dip, mm-hmm. splash in your face, for cold sure. shower. Mm-hmm. But now I've gotten to a place after that 33 minutes, I've gone to 10, I've gone to 15 again. But really, now I'm just like, why am I attached to a time, a timer? Mm-hmm. Just sit in there and intuitively listen to my body. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I get in there and it's three full songs. Sometimes I get in there and it's, it's one song and I'm like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now I don't set a timer. I'm just like, I'm in, I dip my head at the beginning. I come back out, uh, like my head out, sit in there for as long as my body wants. And then it's like, that's good like dip again and get out and yeah, so yeah. now just trying to feel the flow of things like i want a hard regimented schedule but i also want to have fun and just yeah. be playing good to my body yeah the yeah. fluidity of that's super important and i think a lot of people get caught and captured by the ego hmm. and setting those like need to get yeah. this or need to yeah, get yeah. that and you know that's how injuries can happen that's yeah. how hyperthermia yeah, 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 yeah. like all that kind of stuff yeah. Yeah. it applies to yoga too like well, when exactly. you approach the practice of yoga from the egoic side it's like oh you need to make it look this perfect pose or get into that hmm. full split or it's like no you don't and if you're trying to practice from that mentality you are going to get injured because right. yoga is about how it feels on your body. It may look completely ridiculous to someone else from the external side, but 
you know, if you're feeling and that serves your body the right way, mm -hmm. that's exactly how that posture is supposed to be for you. So right. it's interesting. I think mm -hmm. as soon as I've started practicing that way, um, I started getting injured a lot less or pushing mm -hmm. and finding more of the actual, the, the resonance inside yeah. of what you're looking for, which is like a balance mm -hmm. rather than pushing too far or, you know, and the hardest thing about yoga, I think, is you end up in a studio surrounded by people and you, this mm. comparison kicks in, right? Yeah. Do you find that in, in, in the gym oh, yeah. and fighting? Like yeah. So I found with this new team, New Wave Jiu-Jitsu, they're incredible. But they train harder than anyone, longer than anyone. And uh, I've started to, over this last month or two, having the conversations with everyone. Hey, my training sessions aren't going to look like everyone else's training sessions. Um. 10 years older than most of the guys in here and uh and i whenever i first came in to try to make a good impression and show consistency and everything else i was doing everything that they do right just to make sure they know i'm i'm in yeah um but now it's like hey you know if there's a position i don't want to necessarily train because sometimes you, they put you in worst case scenario right mm -hmm. like you get in mount on someone which is one of the most dominant positions then they put you in mount all that stuff so I'll do the positions, but then I'm not so attached to saying, oh, I must do this one and all of them. Right. Like if I'm feeling banged up on my neck or my shoulder, I'm like, okay, this position isn't the best for me today. Maybe I'll come back to it tomorrow mm -hmm. or in a week. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm okay with going off the mats, watching, studying, seeing everybody do their thing. As long as I know I'm not cutting myself short. Yeah. And if I'm being smart and listening to my intuition yeah that's like yeah so I've, I've gotten to the place where you know they know they know me i know them now and i'm really trying mm -hmm. my best but i'm not i'm not trying to get injured either yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so surrounded by that much like that that many champions yeah what do you think is the decisive piece that hmm. separates them from the other teams uh well for john carlo who was the dark horse that we all knew He's only been on our team for 11 months. He's been training much longer than that. And he had done good. He had competed in the, at a very high level. But he said it wasn't until he came here, was consistent, was surrounded by greatness, that then he started to believe in himself. And some of our belief in him mm -hmm. allowed him to believe in himself even more. And so I would say consistency, belief, also like just an obsession with like studying like mm -hmm. and, and not just doing it but knowing why you do it mm -hmm. and uh, the team that i'm part of now it feels every bit as as high if not higher than any time i stepped into the olympic training center like the aura of mm -hmm. it like right, right, no right. this guy is on top of it. this guy's on top of it like the way they treat their diet, the way they protect their sleep, the way that they, um, well, I introduced Gordon to his first ice bath. Uh, well, um, then he did another ice bath and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to get one of those. So he got one of those. So now the team's either coming to my house or his house so that we can do <laughs> ice baths. Amazing. And the plan is now we're going to get an ice bath and yeah. a sauna at, at, uh, up there for all the guys of the t uh, for the team at mm -hmm. the training center. And so it's just like when something works and it's a benefit, like yeah. everyone's open. It's like open sourced. Mm -hmm. you right. can, 
you know, this is what works for me. I think it'll work for you. And then yeah. take it or leave it. There's a beautiful thing about life in that, mm. not just for finding greatness and, and winningness in that which you're, you know, as a team collectively looking for. But I think what's fascinating about things like conversations like this is being, in, and in life in general, like seeing things that work for other people, mm. trying yeah, them on yourself, yeah. yep. seeing and attuning and it and mm -hmm. does that work for me does that not and then finding your individual path to your own personal greatness yeah mm -hmm. through that journey and surrounding yourself with those type of people like the well, winners yeah. right you are who you surround yourself with so if you are around these champions and these people that take their nutrition and their sleep and all of these small details so seriously like that becomes part of your habitual way of living yeah. and that impacts the way like you, a collective you growth exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm really grateful for y'all yeah. yeah no and likewise man it's been amazing justin thank you thank Thanks. you for for sharing your heart and yeah. you're like i think it'll take me a while to process all of these incredible stories mm -hmm. that you shared today and just not just the idea of everything you've experienced but also the story of how it brought you there that that intuition that you mm. felt and that vision and that connection that you experienced was something divine that guided you to this. So mm. it's, it's the, stories like that, that you're like, it really like just solidifies this beautiful belief in our hearts for that we're all guided in a beautiful way. So, and, and it's a yeah, message, a beautiful you. message yeah. to anyone listening. Yeah. If you feel that, you know, yeah, to listen, to, to listen, mm. to listen to the voice inside, whether it's a small intuition or whether it's a literal vision. Yeah. like we are guided yeah. and, and and we all have a purpose and if we f seek it it will reveal itself i truly yeah. believe that and and you're the perfect example you, oh my of God. the whole story you. everything you've been through is, is yeah. incredibly inspiring and you know i would love for you to just if you could mention it right now how can everyone listening and watching help all of these incredible causes that you're doing how can yeah. they add their Thank drops you. of water yeah yeah thanks. Right? wow Yes. Uh, if you want to help us, we have right now our Carry the Water campaign that's found at fightfortheforgotten.org. Mm -hmm. And that is with a $100,000 matching gift. So wow. that means up to $100,000 will be matched or doubled. So we need that for the water reservoir to exist. It's mm -hmm. a, about a $200,000 project, but we'll uh, immediately... And that's a, the biggest water project we've done. Normally water wells are 5,000, 10,000, mm -hmm. maybe 20,000, but this is going to serve a lot more and it's the infrastructure to build the hospital and the school and a community yeah. hub. Yeah. And we have partnerships being created or already solidified with people like Duke and Yale and University of Nebraska Medical and mm -hmm. University of Colorado and University of New Mexico, their engineering departments and medical departments. And so when you say that being guided and like, I wasn't able to doubt my purpose being there when I had malaria or because of the vision. Mm -hmm. But what's unique about the times recently, and I've never shared this, um, is since COVID and since inflation and since the state of the world, like we were on, we, we had had our best year ever. You know, we had 10,000 donors from all 50 states and 60 different countries. Like this was a movement, but there's been a lot of, of either fear or, or valid reasons that they, people can't support. So we've, we've shifted mm -hmm. our model from trying to get bigger donors to, and one-time donors to an invitation to join a tribe, our fight club. 
and basically it's of monthly donors of like five dollars a month or more mm -hmm. and if we can build an army or a tribe of of supporters a movement um given five ten fifteen whatever they can a month mm -hmm. like that will let us budget and scale and grow to say this is when the maternity wards opened yeah this is when the school has its you know first uh first class um and this is when the reservoir will be completed wow. and so we go in october i'm really excited about that and you're yeah. going back yeah, i'm going back wow it's for like how around the corner yeah That's for right how right. long <laughs> yeah how yeah. long are you going to uh, stay? And I'm going with the best guy in the business that uh -huh. also has Engineers Without Borders Uganda that's helping to spearhead this. Uh -huh. What's really cool about the hospital and the school is that the local, state, and national government has said they're the ones supporting it. So we build it, mm -hmm. uh, we outfit it, and they'll staff it. Wow. And so it's not dependent on Fight for the Forgotten or Project Cure mm -hmm. or Engineers Without Borders. Mm -hmm. We're the support system to help them. We're, we're connecting the dots with yeah. the resources. Mm -hmm. And then they're the ones. Then then we'll have continued trainings. We have a technology center we're building Beautiful. at that community hub where they can do better practices and best practice or better procedures um, at the hospital. So that's yeah. beautiful. So, I mean, yeah. and you have our. 100% support Thank all you. of these causes. It's beautiful. And oh my God. anything we can do, it's very inspiring. Yeah. So Thank you so much. Of course. So Thank it's going to happen. It is. It will happen. I love that. The affirmation, man. We yeah. have, it, it we have that happen. piece of paper already, right? Yeah, right yeah. there. You're gonna see I have a feeling things. it's just in your vision at all times. You don't even need to write it down anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to cool. happen. Amazing. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you, Justin. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. It's been amazing. Appreciate it. To connect with you. Yeah. Oh, last thing is... People, if they want to follow, it's uh -huh. the Big Pygmy on yep. Instagram. I also have a podcast called Overcome with Justin Wren. And so uh, I'd love to have you all on there. Yes, and, we can't wait. Uh, we can't wait to be yeah. on it. It'll be an honor. Thank yes. you. For sure. Yeah. My goodness. Thank you. Yeah. Hello, my friends. I have a really important announcement to make. It took us a little bit of time because we were really looking for the right energy and for the right people. But the Karma Project is here and it is live. I met my second family here in the Congo, the Mabuti Pygmies. Uh, they call themselves the Forgotten People. Their slave masters come up to me and say, what are you here doing with my animals? It's so hard for us to realize that some people on the planet right now, 2023, don't have clean drinking water and basic infrastructure to survive. But this is a real problem and there are real solutions. We just have to look into our hearts, you and me, and realize that even as one person, we may not solve the whole problem, but we can make a difference. Congo is, uh, is one of the regions in Africa which has a lot of fresh water, but people are dying from waterborne diseases. Consider the simplicity of $5. Now to you, it could just be a morning cup of coffee. But to the Batwa Pygmies of Western Uganda, it literally can be the difference between life and death. It's worth everything to, to struggle, to grit, to fight. We have to fight. Please break away from the noise just for a second. Together with us, we can open up our hearts if we click the link www.thekarmaproject.life and recognize that we can make a difference. If somebody just got to be here and experience what I'm getting to experience, yeah, it's crazy, yeah, it's hard. Your donation of any size matters because you matter to these people and to the kind of world we all deserve to live in together. I would love to say thank you. You're not just giving clean water to people, but for me, for my Pygmy family, like you're literally helping 
free people. Fighting in a cage under a ton of lights and getting my hand raised, that was, that was cool, but it wasn't great. I was fighting against people, but really I was just supposed to be fighting for people. www.thekarmaproject.life. Go there right now and learn about Justin Wren and his incredible organization, Fight for the Forgotten, and how you can support and become a part of it. It's worth anything. It's worth everything to, to struggle, to grit, to fight. We have to fight.